Jesus calms the storm. That day, when evening came, he said to his, to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Wonderful. Well, in case you've just uh, walked in in the last few minutes, uh, my name is Paul, and thank you very much. Um, I've spoken to a, come, uh, to, a, to a few of you coming in, and you've all been very, very welcome. I'd say that you've settled my nerves, but <laughs> I have not felt this nervous in a very, very long time. So if I stutter or splutter, we'll just put it down to that, okay? Um, I would just like to start um, by praying, uh, and then we're going to open up God's Word together uh, that was so beautifully read by Diane. So... Uh, let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity to meet together this morning in safety, to open up your word, and to hear about who you are. Uh, Lord, I just pray that whatever happens now, however nervous I am, however um, tired and exhausted we might all be from the week that we've just had, I pray that you would still our hearts and focus our minds to learn who you are, and to love you more and more. Lord, this is for you, and so we commit this time into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, it's a very well-known story, isn't it? You've probably heard it before, or even if you're, uh, the, this is the very first time in this church, if it's the first time you've ever been into church, you've probably heard of this absolutely banging classic which is Jesus Calms the Storm. You've probably heard it. It's brilliant, isn't it? It's really wonderful. It's short for a start. It's full of drama, and it has a big plot twist right at the very end. Um, and on top of all of that, it also uh, covers one of the main questions that the, the writer, Mark, wants us to know about his gospel. He wants us to be asking uh, a very important question. Indeed, it's a question that's important for all of us in our lives. The question... Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And it's an important question that we need to get the answer right, um, because if we don't, we're going to run the risk of in, engaging with Jesus in just completely the wrong way, or even just missing him entirely. And so what I'd like to do this morning is I'm going to go through the story, uh, this account in Mark's Gospel, and I'm going to try and dramatize it a little bit um, to help us really connect with what's going on. And then I'm going to ask these questions. Who is Jesus? Who does he show himself to be? And what difference should that make in our lives? Okay, so that's, that's where I hope we're going uh, this morning. Um, it would be really helpful um, just to check that I'm doing my job properly. So if you have a Bible in front of you, uh, it's on page 1006. Uh, page 1006, it's Mark chapter 4, verse 35 
to the end of the chapter, verse uh, 41. Um, but, but before we get there, I'm just, you know, we're in chapter 4 of Mark. If you're not used to the Gospel of Mark, then I'm going to give you a little bit of context, what's kind of happened in the build-up to this, okay? So Mark starts off his book in the very first line by telling us that he is going to be writing about this person, Jesus, and it's going to be good news. More than that, Jesus is going to be a very important person. Uh, more than that, he's going to be the Messiah, which is a word that means God's chosen king. More than that, he is going to be the son of God promised throughout the whole Old Testament. That's the opening line of Mark. He sets the bar pretty high. But before we have a chance to really consider what any of that even means, and it's a lot there to unpack, what Mark does is he drops us right into the opening moments of Jesus' uh, earthly ministry as a traveling teacher and a miraculous healer. And Jesus, he calls people from all walks of life to drop what they're doing, to down tools and to follow him. He heals the sick. He drives out demons. He cures leprosy. And he teaches incredible things about the kingdom of God. And it causes a real stir. I mean, a real stir. Uh, the setting, it's, it's uh, in first century Israel, occupied by the Roman forces. It's an occupied land fill, filled with an oppressed people longing for God to act to save them from their oppressors. And so when they catch wind that the miraculous is happening, they come from miles around just to catch a glimpse of Jesus. They want to try and be a part of this new Jesus movement. In fact, so many gather that Jesus is forced to meet people outside of towns. It becomes commonplace for Jesus to meet on mountains and hillsides or down by the lake, just anywhere that could fit that number of people. And to begin with, the vibes are all good. The vibes are all good. People are amazed at all this incredible stuff Jesus is teaching, uh, all of this incredible miracles that, that Jesus is doing. Uh, whole communities are praising God. The, the phrase, oh, we've never seen anything like this, rings repeatedly throughout the opening of Mark's gospel. That is, until Jesus' teachings and actions start to clash with the traditions of his time and with the religious leaders who uphold those traditions. So at one point, Jesus claims to have the authority to forgive sins. That's a big no-no. Jesus starts hanging out with the socially undesirable, even tax collectors and sinners. Any tax collectors in here this morning? Yeah, you're not going to put your hands up after that, are you? And that's an even bigger no-no. Jesus even heals on the Sabbath, and that's the, the Jewish holy day where all work is prohibited. That's the biggest no-no of all. And at that point, Jesus' card is officially marked. The religious elite start to keep an eye on him, looking for a way to have him removed. They try to defame him. They say Jesus is possessed by the devil, all in a vain attempt to turn the crowds away. Even his family is swept in. They, they think that Jesus must be out of his mind. But you know, through all of that, through all those rough times, we see Jesus calmly teaching and correcting people, healing those in need, looking out for the poor and the vulnerable. So as Jesus travels the area, spends most of his time speaking to huge crowds about God and the coming kingdom of God. And you know, it's immediately after one of these big preaching and teaching days that our passage comes in. So follow it with me. Here we go, page 1006. It had been a big day. It had been a massive day. The crowds had gathered early to come and see Jesus. 
and as usual, there were more there that could be easily handled. So many arrived, in fact, that the people at the back, they started to push towards the front to try and see and hear. One of the disciples had the bright idea of negotiating a boat so that Jesus could teach out on the water. So they pulled up a little way from the shore so that Jesus could address the crowds, the water amplifying his, his voice so that everybody could now see and hear the teacher. The theme that day was the kingdom of God, how people would respond to it in many different ways, how it would grow, how his people should be ready to share it with others. And as usual, Jesus spoke to the crowds in parables, these beautiful, intriguing, sometimes confusing stories that have a moral message. But in the breaks, when he wasn't talking to the crowds, he talked to his disciples and explained it all clearly. Now, though, the day had drawn on, Morning had become afternoon, and the evening was pressing in. It was time to send them home, to get some food, some rest, get ready for the next day. But today was a bit different. Today, didn't just send, today Jesus didn't just send his disciples to their homes. No, that day, when evening came, Jesus said to the disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind them, uh, he took, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were other boats with him. So Jesus initiated this really odd plan to head across the lake away from the big crowds. And, you know, the disciples, they seemed that that was a really good idea. You know, the journey would give them some time to, um, to unwind, get a meal, spend some proper quality time with their mentor and their friend. So they load the boat up with provisions. Jesus dismissed the crowd, and they planned a course across the lake uh, to land somewhere in the Gerasenes. As they pushed off from shore... Oh, the frustration. They could see a small handful of boats, all full of people that were determined to follow Jesus across to where, they, to where he would go and to just see what would happen next. It was really frustrating, but you know, that's the way it was when you were hanging out with Jesus. That was just the way it is. He was exciting to be around. He was going to be amazing, you know, in quiet whispers. You could probably say he, he might even be the one that we were waiting for. Life was good. And as evening drew on, and they were heading across that lake, the wind started to pick up. There was a feel in the air, which would have been really familiar to, to those of them who were fishermen. The breeze, which had at first been light, was starting to gather strength and was rapidly getting stronger. Overhead, the birds who were flying over the lake had started to head towards shore. There were signs going on that something was stirring. A storm was coming. All of them knew what it meant. They all were local lads. They'd all seen these patterns many times before. Some of them are career fishermen on these very waters. And the other boats spotted it too. Some had started to go back. A storm was coming. Now, the Sea of Galilee, for those who don't know it, it sits in this kind of natural dip. It actually sits below sea level, and it's surrounded by hills. And because of the lay of the land there, at certain times of year, really unpredictable and strong winds, some as strong as 60 miles an hour, can, can scoop down into that little bowl and really stir the waters up. And, and with very little warning, a sea that is calm and peaceful can go to chaotic and treacherous. These storms, they come with very little warning, especially at night. And this night was one of those nights. 
Verse 37, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. The skies were dark, the waves were high, the winds are violent enough to tear the sail. The boat was filling with water, being battered by waves, left and right, rocking backwards and forwards. As the night drew on, the disciples' vain attempts to secure the vessel Despite all of their experience and training, it was recognized as hopeless. And they all resigned themselves to the fact that they were coming to the end. They were too far to go back. It was impossible to go forward. At some point, you need to resign yourself to the fact that you are about to meet your maker. And as they look around, trying to take stock of who is there and what is left on board, they notice one notable absence from the fray. Jesus. Jesus is nowhere to be seen at this point. You can imagine the panic starting to kick in. Where is Jesus? Peter, have you seen Jesus? No, I thought he was with you. John, have you seen Jesus? No, I thought he was with James. James, Jesus with you? No, check with Judas. No one can find him anywhere. So a search is performed and they find him. Where is he? Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. As these 12 men have been fighting for their lives out on the deck, Jesus is seemingly oblivious to it all. So you can feel their desperation, their exasperation. They shout to their teacher, their friend, over the creaking, the straining of the wood, over the wind, over the waves. The disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Pause here for a second. Let me ask you a question. What do you think the disciples wanted Jesus to do? What were they expecting Jesus to do? And what does that tell us about who they thought Jesus was at this point? Well, they wake him by calling him teacher. That's what they see. They see a man exhausted from teaching, lying on a cushion. And all they ask is if he cares. They don't ask him to do anything. They don't ask him to fix anything. They don't ask him to pray for them. They don't ask him to save them. Because all they see at this moment is Jesus, a man. Simply a man. And that's what Mark wants us, us to be very clear uh, from this, from the evidence that he's given here. It, it, it's going to sound really obvious, but it is really important for us to, to see Jesus is a man. So, what evidence is there? Okay, first of all, Jesus was so exhausted, so dog-tired uh, from his work, from sun up to sundown, he was not able to stay awake even through a storm as bad as a hurricane. Now, that's a very human trait. He was very limited in his physical abilities here. Second, Jesus wasn't just a good teacher. He was a great teacher. And a big part of that came from the fact that his teaching touched at the very heart of what it is to be human. Jesus understood what it was to be human. He spoke so clearly as one who knew what it was like to be a human being living in a very broken world. He understood the desires of the human heart perfectly. And because of that, he was able to connect with the people he was talking to so deeply. Finally, we see that Jesus is, is a man because when Jesus saw the most wretched parts of humanity, the hurting, the terrified, uh, those who had literally nothing else in this world, he cared for them like no one else. 
Jesus' humanity was clearly seen by everyone who met him. It's part of what, him, it's part of what got him in trouble, and it's part of why the crowds loved him so much. He understood them, and he cared for them. Jesus was clearly a man. But what does it matter? Well, it matters here. Mark wants us to know that Jesus is a man because it shows us that Jesus gets it. You know, Jesus gets it. Jesus understands what it is to be a human. Jesus knows what it is to feel hard times and good times. Jesus can truly and properly empathize with us because he's one of us. He is a man. And Mark wants us to see that first because his next bit of evidence is going to really blow our minds and it's going to tempt us to forget that Jesus was fully a man. Okay, so we need to remember that. We're going to hold on as we press play and we start going again. The disciples woke Jesus and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And Jesus stirred. He, was, he, was, he woke up. He opened his eyes, lifted his head from the pillow, and looked into the eyes of his 12 closest friends, those who he'd taken upon himself to teach and train and spend his time with. Every one of them bore the marks of exhaustion that comes from fighting against, for your life against the elements. And every one of them had the look of fear that comes from knowing that those elements have beaten you. So, Jesus got up. He walked past them, not to a bucket to bail out, not to a rope to start lashing things down. No, he walked out to the open air, and with no pomp and no ceremony, he raised his voice, and Jesus rebuked the wind. His voice carrying that tone uh, that holds no uncertainty that it will be obeyed. From the... Uh, with the water from the waves still spraying over the side of the boat, uh, the disciples heard clearly Jesus' words, quiet, be still. And at that moment, with all the chaos that is going on at Jesus' words, everything was calm. Everything was calm. The disciples went out and looked at the scene. The boat, which had been rocking backwards and forwards with the waves, was still. The wind had completely stopped. The waves were tranquil. An instant change from chaos to peace. And the 12 men looked at Jesus. And Jesus turned and looked at them. And he said to his disciples, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. That was the final question that the disciples asked. Who is this? Who is this? So let me ask you another question. What do you think about the disciples' response right there? What does that tell us about what they, who they thought Jesus was at this point? What's their response? Okay, well, it's, it's, it's fear and confusion. That's their response. They have just been completely blown away by what they've just experienced. Nothing like it has ever happened before. It's completely unique and overwhelming. And, you know, their fear is actually 
it's quite right. It's, it, you know, their fear is reasonable, you know? But it's left them with a question. Who is this? Because they have just seen Jesus, this man here, Jesus, acting in a way that only God should be able to act. And they are struggling to come to terms with that in their minds. Let me say that again. They have just seen Jesus, this man, act in a way that only God should be able to act, and they are struggling to get their minds around it. Again, Mark wants us to be very clear on this from the evidence he's given us here, okay? Clearly what has just happened is a miracle. Yeah, we're all agreed it's a miracle. Some people are nodding. Yeah, it's, it's a miracle. Yeah, none of us can so much as stop ripples in a puddle with our voice, and yet Jesus has just stopped this tumultuous storm. And all of these God-fearing men here, they would have known that God, and only God, has the power to command the wind and the waves. So God was clearly involved somewhere here. But Jesus hasn't acted as they would have expected. Jesus hasn't acted as they would have expected. He's not been like one of the prophets of old. Jesus didn't stand at the front of the, the boat. He didn't cry out to God to act on their behalf. He hasn't revealed, God has sent me with this message to still the storm. No, here Jesus has just got up and he's acted seemingly from his own authority over nature, an authority which the Old Testament clearly reserves for God himself. That's the first thing. Secondly, the way that Jesus performed this miracle is evidence that he is God. How did Jesus do it? He spoke. Jesus didn't do some magic incantation. He didn't do a funny dance. He, he didn't wave a wand or a staff. He didn't read a scroll. No, Jesus simply spoke. And at his words, nature obeyed. Again, the disciples, God-fearing men, they know their Bibles. Their, their minds would have been cast back to the opening words uh, of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1. And they'd have reflected on, they could have reflected on how God spoke. And by God's very words, the seas were created and obeyed. Yet here, it's Jesus doing it. What, what should they make of that? So that's the second bit of evidence. The third bit of evidence... Um, they could have pointed back to sections of the Old Testament that, that echoed, almost like preempted this very moment. In fact, there, there's an old hymn that would have been sung in the synagogue. It's a hymn that we know as Psalm 107. Um, and in that uh, psalm, Psalm 107, uh, there's a section which tells of men, merchants, setting out in a ship only to have their ship beaten by a storm. And the, wind, the, the waves are high, there's a high certainty of death, uh, and they're in so much... Uh, fear that as their courage melts away, they cry out to God. And God brings them out of their distress, and God stills the storm to a whisper. If you read through it, you'll see there's striking parallels between that psalm and what has just happened in the boat in front of them. But the big difference is, the big difference in the psalm, it is clearly God who is acting. In the boat, on the Sea of Galilee, in the middle of that storm, it's Jesus. So, really, just with that evidence, they should, have, they should really have been able to see, at least the beginnings of the lesson, that Jesus is God. I hope you can see that here as well this morning. Uh, that, that just from this moment, we can see that Jesus is God. But why does that matter? Okay, why does that matter? Well, it matters because if Jesus is God, well, then he has all things under his control. 
Okay? If Jesus is God, then Jesus is not limited in what he can do. Jesus has no rival that can challenge him. Jesus can never be taken by surprise. And the depth of Jesus' love for us is immeasurable. And it means that we can cry out to him, to Jesus, at all times. If Jesus is God, we can cry out to him at all times. And we can know that Jesus has the ability to act on our behalf in a perfect and powerful way. And that's, that is that short story. We've seen from that short story that Mark wants us to be very aware of who Jesus is. He wants us to hold the two things. Jesus is a man, and Jesus is God. Now, I want to take us into a slightly different gear now, okay? Because we've, we've seen the evidence uh, that the disciples saw that Jesus is both God and man. And that's, that's fine if you sat in a boat in Galilee 2,000 years ago. That's all well and good. But but what should that mean to us today? You know, born 2,000 miles away, 2,000 years after these events, why is it important for us that we should remember that Jesus is both God and man? Well, at some point, we will all face storms in our lives. Okay, you, there's 100 people in here, I'm sure there's 100 stories and more that could be told. Um, you might be going through the storms in your life right now, maybe the death of a loved one, Maybe breakdowns in relationship. Maybe you're going through financial hardship and you're struggling to make ends meet. Maybe you're going through temptations in, in your spiritual walk, things that keep coming up that you're trying to resist and you keep stumbling time and time again. Maybe there are those outside the church who are actually putting you through real persecution for your faith. I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know any of you, but, but maybe. But in all of those moments, when it all seems just just far too much. We need to remember those two truths. In the storms of our lives, we need to remember that Jesus is a man and Jesus is God. Because if we forget either of those, we'll just completely misunderstand Jesus and and we just won't engage with him properly. Now, in that boat in in Galilee, the disciples didn't get this. They didn't have both of those things things held quite so tightly. They didn't see Jesus as both God and man. And so they asked him, teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, I wonder if you can see the irony of that question there. The disciples asking Jesus, don't you care if we perish? I know that as a church, you've just gone through a sermon series in, in the book of John, I, I believe, and you're just coming to the end of that. So I know that um, it will come as no surprise to you that you've gone through the crucifixion of Jesus, you've gone through the resurrection of Jesus, and, and what that means. The crowning achievement of Jesus' life was that he gave himself as a sacrifice for us. That Jesus died on a cross to pay for our sins. Jesus cared so much about whether we were destroyed because of our sin that he gave his life to deal with the problem once and for all. Jesus died so that whoever puts their trust in him, no matter what they've done, no no matter who they are, they will have their sins forgiven. And we will be made right with God, not because of anything that we've done or, or anything that we could claim to be, but entirely because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's how much Jesus cares So if Jesus cares that much that he is willing to lay down his life, the ultimate price, to deal with our ultimate problem, well then, what makes us think that he won't be there for us? 
in the comparatively smaller problems that we face in our lives. And I'm not trying to belittle any of the problems that we have in our lives. They're horrible. But why would we think that Jesus doesn't care? Again, I don't know anybody here today. I don't know anybody's situations. But I do know that um, as a church, we're about to undergo a very big time of change. Um, Many of you are are heading to Phillips Street to start something new over there, the revitalization project over there. And a lot of us will be staying here. Uh, to continue the work that's been done here in Headley Park for years. That is going to be a difficult time. That is going to be a difficult time. At times, at best, it's going to feel uncomfortable and odd. At worst, it might feel painful uh, and like something bad has happened. And I've no doubt that there will be times when, when many of you will wonder whether or not it was the right thing to do. And it will feel like the waves are crashing over the boat and that everything's going to sink. But even in those moments, if we forget that Jesus is, uh, we need to remember that Jesus is man and God. Even in those moments, we need to remember and fixate on the fact that Jesus is both man and God. If we forget that Jesus is a man, we'll be tempted to think that he doesn't care, that he doesn't understand what we're going through. And if you forget that Jesus is a man, you'll think that he's far off and aloof and impersonal and that he doesn't really care, and you'll be tempted not to cry out to him. Okay, that's if we forget that he's a man. If we forget that Jesus is God, then we will forget that he's able to act on our behalf and that nothing, nothing can get in his way. Nothing can stop Jesus' purposes from being fulfilled. And if we forget that, again, we'll forget to cry out to him. So either way, if we forget either one of those things, we lose because we won't cry out to him. But if we remember those two things, that Jesus is God and Jesus is a man, we remember that he understands our needs. He understands our desires. He knows our frailties, what it's like to be in our situation. He knows them personally. And he is capable to do all things, anything that we ask. All we need to do is to cry out to him and trust him when things are just too much for us. So, as we leave here today, you'll be pleased to hear that this is me coming to the end. As we leave here today, if you remember nothing else, if you remember nothing else about this morning, please remember this passage in Mark where Jesus calms the storm. Please remember that Jesus here shows us that he is both man and God, that he both cares about us and is capable to help us in the hardships that we face. That's a tough thing to remember. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray, and, uh, and then I'm going to um, welcome the um, band up to, to do the last song. So let me pray. Almighty God, we thank you so much for this passage. And uh, for some of us, it might be very confusing to try and get our heads around for the first time that Jesus was both man and God Um, Lord, I just pray that um, that would be something that sticks with us through this week, that you would help us to understand more and more how important it is as we strive to live for you through the week. Lord, I pray for those who have followed you for a long time, um, for myself included, Lord, that we would remember these truths as, as slippery and tricky as they are to remember. Lord, help us to remember that you understand our needs and our desires, that you are totally capable to do all that we imagine and more. And Lord, help us to cry out to you in every moment. 
Help us to love you more and more as you look after us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.